here. My guess is there's 25,000 now because it, they're taking off. They're everywhere. The Lord's doing something. You don't, you don't establish a prayer community like that and just do it in your own effort because you think it's a new cool idea because people are not going to pray around the clock. This is a divinely initiated, God-strengthened, God-orchestrated move. He's building prayer on the earth, and it's everywhere right now. And we come from a uh, community uh, that's connected with the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Uh, and uh, I often tell people, do you know IHOP in Kansas City? If you know them, then you know us. We're basically the same. Uh, IHOP's been going for almost 19 years now, 24-7, worship and prayer, uh, uninter uninterrupted. They haven't stopped for five minutes in 19 years. Worship teams on the stage, worshiping the Lord, prayer going up for the nations, and it goes around the clock hour after hour. Now, we're considerably smaller, so we're not 24-7, but we do a decent amount of hours per week. We use the same kind of model. We use the same kind of an approach. Our goal is, in our city, to, and, and I've got a whole bunch of reasons why that I don't have time to tell you this morning, but we know that we're called to be in, in an ongoing worship and prayer for the city and the region in which we live, and, that the, and, and our part to play in our city is connected to that. Now, uh, I think it was Norm mentioned it this morning. He said, one body, many parts. And it's really true. There's a whole bunch of different congregations in the city, and they all have distinct roles and assignments. And like a body, there's heads and there's arms and there's noses and there's all different parts. You know, everybody has something. There's eyes and ears. Well, the, the role and responsibility that we know we have, the assignment that the Lord's given us in our community, is to pray, whether anybody sees that we exist or not. And so we know a little bit about how this works. And it's about 11 and a half years for us that we've been doing this. And in the 11 and a half years, we figured out that the Lord wants to see uh, some tremendously powerful things come on the other side of the prayer. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. And also, he wants to see a whole lot more people doing it than us. And so that's part of the reason why we're gonna, I'm going to talk to you this morning about it, because I believe that for all that you have going on, there's an increase. There's a, there's a potential for more that can take place here. And you'll have to figure it out yourself. Uh, everybody looks different. Your community's distinct, and I can really sense it. Even as I sat here for, for the, uh, the hour that I've been here or so, you've got a different dynamic than other places. Uh, you, I'd be fascinating, actually, to go through and ask you, what do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What do you, what do you think you have that's distinct? Who do you think you are? But it'd be interesting to hear you define yourselves, because my guess would be you have some sense of it, but you don't have a complete picture because you're on the inside. You can't see yourselves. And there are some really distinct things about you that when I go to other churches, I don't see the same things. So embrace that. Be the fullness of who you are in this community and take on the assignments the Lord's given you and step right into it with confidence because there's some amazing dynamics that are at play here that the Lord wants to use. And I think prayer is going to be one of them. Uh, so let's talk about it. Well, I don't have a whole lot of time. So Prayer, first thing I want to do is define it. Prayer is a conversation. Already I can see wheels are turning. What? It's a conversation. Right. Okay, so prayer is a conversation. That means that you're talking to someone, and probably he's talking back, although we're a little bit less good at that. But the, the talking part, we're pretty good at that. The, the assumption that it's a conversation means that we, there's somebody on the other end that's listening to us. Now, the one that we talk to, the Lord Jesus, the Father that sits on the throne, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, the three in one, the Godhead, the one that we talk to, 
is not like your average person that you speak to. If I have a conversation with Norm, and occasionally I do, we meet up at Starbucks and we'll sit and we'll talk, there's a, there's a peer-to-peer dimension to it. We're friends. We, sh- we have similar job descriptions. We are of a similar age bracket. We, we both have children in the same school, in fact. Uh, we, we have lots in common. It's easy to speak to each other. The conversation you're going to have with God is not the same. And you know that already instinctively. You feel it. You want it to be the same, but it doesn't work like that. And there's some good things about that, and there's some terrible things about that. Our prayer life is definitely affected by who we know we're talking to. And the picture, that what we see on the other end, is of critical uh, importance to how we approach prayer. So I'm going to look at our first passage. Uh, it's Ephesians 1 uh, and verse 17. Those that are in the Luke 18 uh, will laugh silently to themselves. I know these three over here. They're part of the campus prayer group uh, at the University of Winnipeg that we've all been part of for a number of years. And uh, this is my favorite prayer to pray. I have prayed this for years. I was on, on campus before they were even out of high school. And we prayed this almost every week. Now you'd say, what an odd thing to pray the same prayer every week. Doesn't God hear you the first time? I prayed it six years ago. Why do I have to keep praying the same thing? Again, these are some of the dynamics in prayer that are unusual because you're not talking to your friend. You're not talking to a peer. You're having a conversation with someone that's not exactly like you. And so I'm going to read through this. Let me just read through this uh, prayer real quick. Well, I'll read it from here. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, Paul is in the middle of a discussion here in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, he's going, he's going on and on, actually, in the first chapter about what God is like, about what God thinks you're like, about why God did the things he did for you, about where this is going. The whole chapter is just filled with some pretty profound mysteries, actually. And then at this point in verse 15, he suddenly stops and says, I need to pray for you because after everything I just said, you need some help. And so he prays this prayer. Now, this prayer is, uh, although it sounds a bit wordy and what exactly does it mean, is profound. We'll just take the top section. Uh, starting in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What he's saying is this. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a a devoted uh, um, servant, child of God, uh, kingdom worker, one that prays, one that does the work of the kingdom, you're going to need to know who God is. If you don't have a a clear picture of who he is, you're never going to make it. That's basically what he's saying. And and I I put a little bit of emphasis on it because I know this from experience, having done this for a while. That's exactly what happens when we make an effort to try to do the work of the Lord and to discover that uh, it's hard to stay steady and it's hard to stay focused if you don't know who it is that's on the other end. It's exactly the same in prayer. Prayer is a difficult conversation because the person that's on the other end, the more that, the less that you know about him, the harder it is to have that conversation. And so uh, in this case, Paul is saying to us, and I think it's true 
for all kingdom work, but certainly true in prayer. You're going to need to know that the one who's on the other side of this conversation has a specific way that he thinks and that he feels, certain kinds of things that he does, things that he really values and things that he doesn't value at all, that he doesn't care about at all. You think they're important and he doesn't even care about them. Things that you want to give your heart to and he's saying, stop doing it that way. You don't need to do it that way. Do it my way. Come with me. Really important that we know what he's really like. And then the conversation of prayer becomes so much more life-giving, so much more powerful, going somewhere in a a way that really connects with not only our hearts but with our future and what's going on. If you don't know the Lord, ultimately you're going to feel bored and you're going to feel disconnected and you will give up praying. The lower your understanding of who he is, the more likely you'll quit. So if you felt that in your life where you're just like, oh, I don't even like praying. I get up in the morning. I know I'm supposed to do it, but this is so boring. And I just go through my list. And, you know, I just got this shopping list. And then, Lord, bless my children, you know, and give them wives and husbands someday and then good jobs. And, Lord, just, you know, pray for my neighbors that they would know you. And I don't even like that guy. But, Lord, break in anyway. He just bothers me. And, and Lord, for my coworkers. And, Lord, give me a raise. I really need a raise. I need more money. And you're just pounding down the list. And you don't actually know God very well. You're going to quit. You're gonna, you'll drive the whole thing and you're out of your own needs. And pretty soon you'll say, this is dumb. I'm bored. I'm going to quit. I know this from experience. Because in our house of prayer, in addition to pray, our own needs, we pray for big, bigger needs, things that are beyond our own borders. And so we pray and have prayed now for 11 and a half years for revival in our city. Let me define that for you. Revival. Some people say revival. You know, like the revival meetings. You go to the meetings and there's a preacher and he preaches and it's a really good meeting, you know, and you get all inspired. No, that's not revival. Well, how about revival? Like like the Lord comes in the church and then things work better. You have more house groups and you have more, more new people are coming and there's just life in the system and there's lots of kids. That's revival. No, that's not revival either. How about the Holy Spirit comes and he moves in power and he, he uh, refreshes you and he gives you joy and he strengthens your body. You're getting closer, but that's still not what I'm talking about. What we're praying for is revival where the Lord gave me a number a few years ago. He said, in the move of God that's coming in your city, I'm just going to put you on notice. In the move of God that's coming in your city in the years ahead, 200,000 to 300,000 people are going to be swept into the kingdom in a relatively short time. He said, so you should pray for that. Pray for 200,000 to 300,000 converts in your city in a period of time. I said, Lord, how? He said, I'm going to move into your city like I did in the Hebrides Islands of Scotland in the 1940s and 50s. How many of you know about that revival? I better tell the story. So in the late 1940s and 50s, there was a small uh, island off the coast of Scotland in in the far sort of out towards the ocean. They didn't even speak English, actually. They were all uh, Gaelic speakers. It was 1948, and the people there were raised in the the church. A lot of them were raised in the church, but it had gotten really cold. The young people didn't care at all, kind of like where we are now. And two, two older ladies, sisters, in their 80s, one was blind, uh, the other was not healthy, were engaged in ongoing prayer for the Lord to come and do something. To break in. 
And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, I think for years, but certainly for months. And they prayed and they said, Lord, come and do something. Shortly after, another prayer meeting popped up and a group of men met in a barn. So you can picture this. And they gathered together and they prayed fervently for a number of hours. And for, I think, two weeks they did this. Two weeks. After two weeks of prayer, I think, 11 years, Lord. Why two weeks? But anyway, they prayed for two weeks. And then they said uh, that right shortly after that, something changed over the, the island. And God, this is the language they use, God stepped down from heaven into their community. They said a person would be out in the field. They'd have like a rake or shovel, and they'd be digging, working in the field, you know, vegetables, normal day, sun is shining. And suddenly the Lord would step down upon them, and they would feel on, their, on them, in their minds, in their hearts, and on their bodies, a sense that something in their life before God was wrong. And all of a sudden they realized that I'm in a bad place before God. I feel my sin. I feel wrong. I feel like if I die right now, I am in trouble. And they would begin to groan. They just it would be on them so heavily that they would they would physically groan. Oh, oh, and they would be groaning so heavy. They're all by themselves in a field somewhere, and then they would just fall over in the field. They'd be lying in the dirt or on the side of the road with their vegetable cart. They said at the but the at this point when it was beginning to really take off, you'd find people lying all over the place groaning under the the weight of conviction of sin. People knew they were wrong before God. Nobody said anything to them yet. They put it together and they came and they would pick them up and they would bring them into the town and they'd bring them into the church. And where someone would preach a clear message of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection and the blood that was shed and the forgiveness of sins and and give them the whole thing and then at the end, the whole place is groaning, not give them an altar call so they could respond. Just leave them there to groan. And they'd say, I'm going to let the Lord take care of that and walk away. And they would groan, and they would groan in, in, under this terrible weight of conviction of sin. And then finally, sometimes it would take a day, sometimes it would take two weeks. They would go to work, they'd be found behind wherever they were working, in the store, in the shop, crying and groaning, oh God, have mercy on me, I'm such a sinner. It was divine, it came from above. It was resting powerfully upon these people, and there was no way they could get out from underneath it. And then finally, the Lord would take it, release it, They would be so powerfully converted, so soundly converted that they would dedicate their lives to his service for generations and generations. They said they never saw converts like this. It came from heaven. Nobody did it. It went for four or five years from town to town, from village to village. Again, nobody did it. It just kept spreading. And the Lord said to me, that's what's going to happen in your town. That's what you're praying for. He says, however it went in the Hebrides in Scotland, that's what you're asking for here. So, I just imagine Polo Park Mall. There they are at the food court. They're lined up, A&W, ready for their food, and the, suddenly the first person feels it. Oh, I don't feel so good. God suddenly seems real to me. What's happening in my life? I feel sin. Oh, all the things that I've done. He's pure. He's holy. What's happening? And the first one drops on the floor in groaning travail, and they gather around, and as they do, they all start to collapse too, and the revival's on at the Polo Park Mall. And schools, and businesses, and neighborhoods, 
It took four or five years to reach a bunch of villages, so it's not like the whole town's going to suddenly fall over and groan. It'll take a while, and, and churches will be uh, need to be equipped, and they'll have to grow, and all kinds of things are going to have to take place to, to bring discipleship. But we are on the forefront. We are at the beginning stages of something incredibly powerful. The Lord's going to break in significantly. This city's destined for something, and there's a transformation that's coming, and the Lord says, I want you in on it. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute, how we can participate. Let me, th- let me tie it back to who the, pres- or who the personality of the Lord is, and this will help us. Your conversation with God in prayer isn't a typical conversation because he isn't a typical person. Colossians 1 says that Jesus created everything, and Jesus currently sustains everything by the power of his word. Right now, everything that's in existence is being sustained because he is actively sustaining it. It hasn't, not like they wound up the clock and let it go, and he's off somewhere busy doing something else. He's currently actively doing this. So do me a favor. Take a deep breath right now. Everybody just take a deep breath. The fact that you can do that is because Jesus just let you. The moment that he determines that you're not going to breathe anymore, he's holding you. Jesus has got it. He is sustaining us. This is the one you talk to. Who has the power to do these kinds of things and is actively doing them. He's not just your buddy. He's not just your friend. He's not, I dare say it, he's not your cosmic life coach. He's not here to make your life better. It's not his primary goal. His primary goal is to be king of the world, to rule and reign over the earth, to establish his kingdom in fullness. He likes you, he cares about you, but it's not his primary goal to do such a thing. I'm going to look at, uh, just re- real brief, briefly, a reference Revelation 4, if you want to put that one up. Most of you probably know this passage. Wow, that is small, isn't it? Most of you probably know this passage. How many of you have read Revelation 4 before? Okay, that's pretty good. How many of you read the whole Bible before? Oh, I knew you guys were on top of it. I came in here and I, and I, I felt like the Lord said, these ones are well taught. I, could, I heard that when I came through the door. This church is well taught, so I'm not surprised. Uh, Revelation 4, of course, is an experience. John is in, uh, his, he's, on, he's arrested, he's on an island. Uh, it's the first century. Um, he doesn't have computers or internet. It's the first century. And John is arrested. He's sitting in his hut. And suddenly, uh, he has a visionary experience, and Jesus appears behind him, turns around and sees him. And Jesus is there in a glorified state with white hair and a sash. And Jesus says, write this down. I'm going to dictate some letters. And so, I, I can only assume, John sits down at his desk with the scroll, and Jesus says, to the church in Ephesus, write. And he writes the whole thing down. When he's done, this is what happens. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, And the voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So John, in his hut, a door appears, supernatural door. He sees it, he hears a voice saying, Go through the door. I'm going to show you something. So he gets up, he walks through the door, and when he does, he comes through the other side. He's in heaven. He's in the throne room, in fact. He's right where God is in heaven, and what he sees, we'll skip down real quick, but what he sees is a throne in heaven, and he sees someone sitting on the throne, 
and he sees the, you know, there's, there's lights, there's colors, there's a rainbow, there's 24 elders that are gathered around on other thrones, they've got robes and crowns, there's flashes of lightning, there's thunder crashing, there is lampstands blazing. Now, I don't think they're like little Ikea lampstands. I think they're big lampstands, like big, like fire. This is the throne room of heaven. This is the place where God sits. There's even a sea of glass. It says right on, uh, yeah, what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. The floor is made of glass, which is so interesting. Because as if it's not bright enough. This bright coming from the Lord himself. There's color. There's a rainbow. There's lightning flashing. There's lamps blazing. And now the floor is reflecting the whole thing back at you. It's a dramatic scene. And then what do we see? In the center around the throne were four living creatures. I'm pretty sure God called them, or John called them living creatures because he's a first century man who just stepped into a scene he doesn't understand. And so he said, there are four uh, living creatures. I don't know what else to call them. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Day and night, they never stop saying. Now, sometimes we think, what a terrible job description that must be. You know, go in, you work your shift, punch the clock, holy, 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 when is this over? That's not what's happening. What's happening is these ones covered with eyes are near the most glorious and awesome one ever. They've drawn near. They're close enough not only to see but to feel and to experience him. And when they get up near him, this is the response of who they are, not their job description. You are holy, holy, holy. You are the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they repeat it and they declare it. Where? To him. To him over and over and over. Now, we could say a lot about that, but I just want to say one simple thing. When they say holy, they mean, do you know what the word holy means? Holy means set apart. But, but set apart in this way is not like, you know, I could set, you know, take my, my, uh, my son and I could say, I want to set you apart to do a special task for me. That's not quite what it means here. What it means here is transcendent. Transcendent means you're not like us. You are set apart. You are beyond us in every way. So when he's saying holy, 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 he's saying you are transcendent. You are transcendent. You're not like us. You're beautiful. You're powerful. You're so beyond us. We've never seen anything like it. This is who the one who sits on the throne. This is the one who has power and authority over everything. This is the one who, again, sets it in place, holds it in place. The one who is so powerful, so awesome, so slightly terrifying, but powerful and awesome and glorious. And he says, draw near to me. You're invited to come near me. And the response of these ones is, holy, holy, this is who you are. I can't say anything else. When I see you and I get near you, I need to declare the greatness. And so the Lord says, you need to know this about me. When you talk to me, you need to know this. The conversation we're going to have in prayer, that's me. 
I'm sitting on a throne. I'm ruling everything from this place. I'm holding it all together. Your heart's beating in your chest because I'm letting it. The city is doing what it's doing because I'm watching it. I'm tolerating it. I love every Christian in town, every church. I see them all. I know every pastor. I know every person in the city. I know what they're thinking, what they're feeling. I know how close they are to me. I know how far away they are from me. I know how the inner desires and longings of their heart, and I know how rebellious they are towards me. I know it all. I have kindness. I have grace towards them. I know the day that they're going to finally turn their hearts. They're going to say, yes, you don't, but I do. I see it all. When you talk to me, you need to understand this. This is who I am. Prayer starts right here. So he's not Santa. He's not going to check his list and give you what you want. He is transcendent and glorious, and he sits on a throne over all created order. I'm going to show you one more. Ephesians 3. Do you want to put that one up? Now, the issue, of course, is if you're that awesome... No, no, that's good. That's the one. That's the one. Ephesians 3, actually. So, if he's that awesome and he's that powerful, he also feels unapproachable. You're thinking, wow, if you're that big and you're that powerful, you're kind of scary. You know everything about me. I don't feel very worthy at this point. I'm not sure whether I should talk to you at all. And you know what? As I talk to various people in in, uh, different church streams and different locations, here's the common theme that I run into. It might not be here, actually, because, again, I feel like you guys are a bit, you're well taught, so you might have overcome some of this. But here's what I hear all the time. I'm not sure I want to get too close because I'm pretty sure he's already mad at me. I'm pretty sure that he's disappointed with me, and what kind of conversation can you have with someone who's already mad at you? That's where most people are related to God. Can you relate to that? You may not live in it, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's an element of that. You feel your weakness. You see his greatness. You're trying to have the conversation, and you know uh, he's probably mad at me. He's probably disappointed. He's probably not giving me the things I'm asking for because he's aware. He sees how hypocritical I am or how weak and broken I am. Therefore, that's why I never get the things that I ask for. None of that's true. But that's the way we live. And it's, it is everywhere right now. In the North American context, in the churches here in our own city, most Christians that you run into are going to struggle with this at some level. It is so common, it's, it's almost hard to believe. I don't know if it comes from their experiences with their human dads, you know, and a, a strong work ethic and a sense of not being able to, to meet up. I don't know where it comes from, honestly, but it's there. And the Lord says, I want to root that out because it's going to kill the, the, the closeness, and it's going to destroy whatever kind of prayer life you want to develop. So let me just read this. Another prayer that Paul is praying. Same book, just two chapters later. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now here's the part I want you to get. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What's he saying? I'll just sum it up real quick. What he's saying is this. You got started in love. You were rooted and established in love. How did you get into this thing? Somewhere along the way, you connected. 
God loves me, and I love him too, and he wants to forgive me of my sins and take me into his family. Oh, it's so great. God loves me, and I love him, and it's awesome. That's where you started. He has rooted and established you in love. And then, over time, you've got more into, well, I've I got to earn something, and got to perform well for him, and he probably doesn't like me anyway, and, and all that stuff starts kicking in, and now it's not love anymore. And Paul's like, I know the answer for that. You need the Lord to give you power. Look at verse 16. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all the church everywhere. You need real power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. You know what you need? You need to see how wide and high and deep and long is the love of God. And by the way, you'll never understand it. That's what he just said. You'll never know. It's, so this surpasses knowledge, but I pray that you'd get it anyway, that God would give it to you. Because if you get that, you'll do it totally differently. Your prayer meetings will sound like this. You'll come in, you'll sit down, and you'll just go, Oh, Jesus. Abba, who sits on the throne, I love you, and I know that you love me. And you see my heart. You know the stuff I did wrong, but oh, you've forgiven me already. You've already paid for that. Oh, here I come. I'm in front of you now. God, I love you, and I know that you love me. I just want to talk to you about my stuff, about bigger stuff, about what's going on in our city, in our region, about where this is going. Totally different. Confidence and love. The Lord says, I'll give you that. Just ask me. In fact, I'm going to pray for you in a minute that you would get it. Okay, one last point. Okay, I'm going to tell you a dream someone had. And this is a, a Canadian man, a friend of mine. Uh, he's, he's become very uh, popular these days because he had this dream that I'm going to tell you, and the, the word got out, and so now he's gone all over the world to share the dream. And people are bringing him in everywhere he goes to share the specifics of what it is that they felt like the Lord was saying. So the dream goes like this. He said, I was, uh, it was years into the future, and he says, I was an old man. He says, I knew I was an old man. My hair was gray. I had a beard. He said, I had a big belly, you know. He says, I sat there, and I was in my rocking chair. He says, I knew I was old. He said, and around me was a whole group of young people, and they were sitting around me next to my rocking chair. And the young people he knew were leaders of revival movements in various nations of the earth. He said, I knew there was somebody there from India, and I knew there was somebody there from, from Canada. I knew there was somebody there from places in Europe. I recognized them as from different nations. And one of them spoke up, and they said, tell us how this began. Because currently, right now, the world is on fire with revival. There's a billion people coming in. How did this start? And he said to them in the dream, he said, well, he says it started a long time ago. It started in the burning rooms with the burning ones. And what he means by that is it started in gatherings of prayer where people found themselves in, in groups and they burned before the Lord in worship and in prayer. And they, they called them, the rooms, he called them burning rooms because that's where they got together. He says, and it started with them. They gathered in the burning rooms, the burning ones. He said, and there was some that it was one prayer meeting a week for an hour. And the Lord said, it was enough. And there were some that went 24-7 for years and years and years. And he knew it was IHOP. And he said, and it was enough. 
And there were some that went a few hours a week, and it was enough. There were some that met at university campuses, and it was enough. And he went right through a big, long list, and he said it was at that point when the burning rooms and the burning ones gathered that the Lord said, and now it is enough, and it began. And when it began, the power of God began to move on the city and on the region, and transformation took place. He says, you want to know how it happens? It happens when they gather and they pray. Now, I'm, going to, I'm just going to tell you something real clear. I, and I, I don't know you very well, but I like you. From what I can tell, you seem like nice people. <clears throat> I feel good spirit in here. I feel like the Lord has been building you for a while and that there's, there's something good about what's been shaped here. And I feel like there's some transition in the air. I can feel like there's people moving and new people coming in. And I know not everybody's here, but I can feel it. I can just feel movement. But I think that's a good thing. I think he's assembling something. He's organizing something. I think he's got you moving in the spirit, not just in the natural. And he's got you thinking about things and doing things and considering where you want to go and what's important. I'm going to add something to this right now. There is a, a, a visitation of God coming to this region, and the Lord says, I'm looking for burning ones in burning rooms. I'm looking for people that would gather together and be before me and worship and pray. I don't know how many it's going to take, but I know it's going to take more than Sanctuary House of Prayer. He's looking for them everywhere. He's looking for people that would say an hour a week. I mean, Luke 18 on campus, you got two, two prayer meetings right now, right? So a couple hours a week. Then the Lord says, that's enough for now. They've been faithfully at the U of W. I don't know if you guys know these ones over here very well, but they've been faithfully at U of W for years, praying for, for the, the Lord to move on the campus. Something's going to take place there. You're going to hear about it. And you're going to stand up here and go, do you guys know what's happening at the University of Winnipeg? And those three are going to just smile because they're going to know it was enough. The Lord was in on it. And it was powerful because he initiated it. He's doing something. And so the Lord's asking us right now, will you find yourself in prayer somewhere? Somewhere. Somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know how. You, you figure it out. But will you figure out a way to get yourself before him in prayer? I think this is a season like we've never experienced, honestly. I think it's not business as usual. I honestly think something's going on that's going to have a, a direct impact on the place we live for decades to come, and honestly, right up until Jesus returns, I think. And so I'm going to ask you to consider it. Ask him. Say, Lord, how can I do this? How do you want me to be before you in a context like that? How can I pray? How can I call out to you? How can I find myself before you? How can I be a burning one in a burning room, even if it's an hour or two here or there? How can I add this to who we are? Because I believe we're in on it together. And, and this church has got a role to play. Why don't you stand together? I'm just going to pray a real quick prayer. I'm going to give it back to Norm. He's going to respond. We're going to do, those, we're going to do the two things for sure. Number one, I'm going to pray that you get an increase in the knowledge of God. Ephesians 1.17, the Lord's going to come and show himself to you in new ways. And I think that's corporately, but I do think it's individually. As I just look around, I'm still looking at your faces, and like I can just see it. The Lord says, I want to talk to you. This lady right here, I don't even know what your name is, but I can see it. He says, I want to come and show more things to you about my character and nature than you know right now. And so I, he's highlighted you. What's your name? Beth. So Beth, 
You're, the Lord wants to draw nearer to you. And he says, in this moment, just open yourself. Just say, show me, teach me. I'm willing to, to learn something. And there's a whole bunch of you like that, that the Lord wants to highlight something. So I want to pray that. I'm also going to pray for a removal of the things that hinder us, to keep us. I want that knowledge of the love of God to grow in us. And then we'll see what happens after that. I'll give it to Norm. So if you're comfortable, if you if you're, just receive it like a gift. If you want to, you can even put your hands out in front of you. Sometimes that's an easy way just to posture yourself. Lord, I just want whatever you have for me. So God, we thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for Gateway and for this Gateway South congregation. I thank you for the people in this room. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you deeply love us. You deeply care for us. But God, we are limited. We have darkened understanding and we don't see clearly. And we're trying, but Lord, we don't always understand everything that's going on. So God, I'm asking you right now for that Ephesians 1.17 reality in this congregation. God, in the name of Jesus, I just release into this house the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Lord, that you would begin to reveal yourself to each one and corporately that this would take off. God, that there would be an anointing to see and know and understand. And take the head knowledge, take the uh, well-taught individuals and the knowledge that's there. I ask you, Lord, to move it into a place of encounter that the people would really see and really know. God, we ask you that you would release it to us. And Lord, I just thank you for each one that's individually, they want something. They want a growth and movement. Lord, I ask you to meet them in it. And God, we ask you to remove every hindrance in all the ways in which we sometimes feel like maybe you don't want to hear from us. Maybe you're not interested in talking to us. Maybe you're mad at us. Maybe you're disappointed. God, I just ask you to remove those lies from this house. And instead, we ask you for Ephesians 3 the height and depth and width and length of the knowledge of God would be in this house. Holy Spirit, that you would move in power and it would move and flow, that every person that walks through the door could access the love of God in a new way, that they would have great confidence in your love, that you have already paid a price, that you have already purchased them. You're not disappointed in them, God. You delight in them. Lord, we ask you for the delight of God to be upon this house. Lord, I ask you, remove every hindrance. And open the way. And Lord, finally we ask you that you would give a a conviction and understanding of the hour in which we live. And Lord, we ask you for, out of this community, out of this house, burning rooms. Lots of them. Little ones. Prayer meetings here and there. Young moms with with their children gathering on a Tuesday morning to pray for an hour. Men before they go to work. All kinds of pockets of ways in which we can gather and pray. Lord, I ask you, release it. A, a, an, a, a, an anointing, a conviction, an understanding of truth that the burning rooms, it's now's the time. God, we ask you to release it. Bless them in it, we ask you. Bless them in it. Lord, I ask that you would release power to do it. In Jesus' name.